Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon here again with Eric Trexler. My friend, Eric, how are you? I am well, Rachel. I am well. I spent the weekend prepping and looking at cyber activity and trying to figure out what's going on in the business. Uh, so you didn't watch the Oscars last night then is what you're saying. Um, I did not see the big slap. I thought of you being a, being a, a SAG actor, actress, excuse me. But uh, no, I did not. I, saw, I caught it on Twitter as I was catching up on cyber in Ukraine this morning at about 5 a.m. Mm. But I, I, yeah. I saw about 10 minutes and I was bored to tears. So I had to go and uh, do something else. Well, you know, you're trying to shake it up, get an audience, you know, I guess, uh, you know, some things. But I was really excited for Coda. You were the one who told me to go back and give Coda another look. And I'm glad I did. I really right. enjojoyed that movie. And I was excited to see it win. Uh, particularly Great movie, the right? actor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let me, <laughs> let me introduce never, never our Never good our to slap now. somebody on national television is my recommendation, though. Well, I mean, I just, that, I'm not sure that's the best telecast. approach. telecast. It was global. Right. Like they had it in Australia. I saw Japanese versions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw the Japanese version. That was good. But anyway, let's talk anyway, some cyber. Let's talk some, some things cyber. we understand a little better. Maybe you understand exactly. the Oscars better. <laughs> well, I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast, Michael Daniel. He's the president and CEO of the Cyber Threat Alliance. And wow, what a great time to be coming back on the podcast to talk to us today, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, we were just yeah, talking. Michael, I think it's been a year. Oh, yeah. Sorry. To yeah. Interrupt. Yeah. And a, a little time. bit has changed in that time frame. Some things have changed. Absolutely. Yep. And some things are still exactly the same. So... Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been kind of noticing, and we talked a little bit about this before we got on, um, there's this kind of this sense of ratcheting up, if you will, um, you know, with, with the Ukraine conflict and uh, the Biden statement, you know, coming out last week. And then I, I had mentioned there was the uh, the Customs and Border Protection Bulletin on U.S. supply chain attacks. And and you had some really interesting um, perspective that you were were talking about in terms of kind of what industry is is seeing and what we're seeing in terms of that big momentous event that has yet to happen. Yeah, so I would say that in some ways, um, what's been interesting is what hasn't happened. Right. Right. Um, while certainly there has been increased cyber activity inside Ukraine. Um, and there's been lots of reports of uh, denial of service attacks. And, um, you know, there's definitely incidents that are happening to Ukrainian companies. Mm -hmm. The sort of widespread, uh, the use of cyber capabilities to disrupt Ukrainian critical infrastructure broadly um, at scale has not occurred. Um, right. right. So, you know, their communication networks are still functioning largely. Right. Mm -hmm. You still have communications in and out of Ukraine. Like you're not seeing, you know, widespread reports of power outages or right. things like that. So while certainly individual Ukrainian companies and I think particularly some of their government ministries and, you know, their banks and things like that are are uh, are under attack. You have not seen 
widespread, scaled use of cyber to cause disruption, even in Ukraine, and certainly not outside of Ukraine, which a lot of people thought was a very distinct uh, possibility. Right. Um, Now, that doesn't mean it won't it that doesn't mean it won't happen. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, But I think a lot of people thought it would happen as part of the, you know, early stages of this war. Mm. Michael, why do you think that's the case? I mean, we we spoke, I think, last week, Rachel, on my theories, but or maybe right. it was two weeks ago. But why why do you think that's the case? Well, I think some of it is that it's still the case that to have the exact effect that you want at the time and place of your choosing, and only the effect that you want at the time and place of your choosing, is still really hard in cyberspace, and. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty, right, around, well, if I use this cyber tool, what's going to happen? Well, we don't fully know. This is what we think will probably happen, but we're not sure. Okay, if I use this missile to blow it up, I know what's going to happen. Right. 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 Um, and the I think when you're in a war, the military is an inherently conservative organization for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Right. And so, you know, you're going to use the capabilities that are more tried and true. Um, I think, you know, so I certainly think that was part of it. You know, some of it may have been that they actually thought that they were going to be able to win more quickly and so mm-hmm. didn't want to cause, you know, widespread destruction. Um so, I mean, there's a variety of reasons that uh, – and it's probably not one singular right. reason. It's probably multiple reasons combined. Yeah, that's a good point, though, I mean, because whatever is um, inflicted in the Ukraine, I mean, then they kind of in- inherit that as a, they kind of move in there and try to take cities and whatnot, right? I mean, it's it kind of affects everyone, not just one group. One where yeah. they have lost power – you know, a lot of that's kinetic attack, physical attack right. on, you know, sure. a tower or, or th- right. there's, a, there's a bombing and it happens to hit, you know, power lines or something like that. So we've, we've definitely seen that, but in the kinetic realm more than yes. anything. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, I have so many questions, Michael. I don't even know where to start. But I mean, I, I know from an industry perspective, though, it seems that um, everyone's busy. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Rob Leodragos was was posting and, you know, kind of advising folks to, you know, kind of start getting on a retention and, you know, retainer with with organizations because things are clearly coming. I mean, the president wouldn't have come out and made a statement like that if if they weren't seeing something on the back end. And, you know, is are we ratcheting up to this, you know, kind of as, as they like to joke, you know, or not joke, the cyber apocalyptic moment. But, um, you know, just what's going on and why aren't we seeing more of that externally yet? Well, I think that, you know, conditions will continue to change. Um, and certainly, I mean, years ago, um, a friend of mine in the business, uh, you know, Herb Lynn out of, uh, yes, yes. Out at, uh, Stanford, you know, he said, it's very easy to be a cybersecurity expert. Just declare that tomorrow will be worse than today. and You'll probably be right. <laughs> you know, um, and the, And so there's some truth to write that these are not things that began with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? This is – these are long-term trends that we're seeing. And as more and more businesses have been hit with ransomware, as more and more nation states have gained capability to conduct offensive operations, 
cybersecurity issues have just become much more salient across the board. Right. Um, yeah. And so the a lot of this is, um, you know, companies and the demand signal in the market saying, OK, we've got to do a better job of getting our arms around um, around these cybersecurity problems. Um, I mean, for example, you've got the SEC, you know, floating guidance yes. that is basically saying you've got to do a better job disclosing your risk. We're no yes. longer going to let you be able to say, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but we're no longer going to let you say we have cyber risk. Yeah. Okay, you got to do more to characterize your your cyber right. risk, right? Right. Well, if you're going to actually characterize your cyber risk, you got to have companies like Dragos. You got to have right. companies like, you know, you got to have companies like Bitside or Cybersecurity or Security right. Scorecard or others that mm -hmm. can help you analyze your risk, right? You know, um, you've uh, and then if you're suffering an incident. You know, you've you've got to be able to respond to it. So, I mean, I right. think all of these things are really driving, you know, an increase in demand for cybersecurity products and services. Yeah, that's um, it's I I don't know I <laughs> I keep getting hung up on the Ukraine. Um, I I just think of all the people and and what it's affecting and you know kind of the impact out of that and. You know, kind of what that well, means. Well, I think kind of we're going to be seeing global community, right? Yeah, no, I mean, we're going to be seeing the the the, uh, the ripple effects of you know how this war has occurred. We're going to be seeing the ripple effects of that of that in a lot of different dimensions, right? Um, and and it could you know in cybersecurity, um, you know, you're going to see that too of There'll be lessons that'll be taken away from what's happened during the conflict, and what do we? What does that mean for companies? Um, right. Even down to even down to security issues like okay, so you were a you were an American company that had operations in, or you're a Western European company and you had operations in Ukraine or in Russia, and right. you shut them down, right? How do you? How do you secure your digital footprint, right? Um, do you because you probably can't get all the stuff, you know, all the equipment out of country, right? Right. right? So yeah, how at do minimum, you, you can't get the hard drives back, right? Yeah, right. you've got data there that's right. So abandoned. how do you how do you deal with that, right? And yeah. and what does that do to your risk profile? And um, the you know now do you need to include in your incident? you know, management plan, like the, what if something, you know, what if country X ends up in a, you know, conflict, you know, what if these operations end up in a conflict zone? What does that right. mean? Right. Um, and those are all new, new areas that I think we'll see more attention paid to, but the lessons won't be fully learned for months right. or years down the road. Well, I think it, yeah. it'll be interesting as we, as American companies and well, really a, a lot of, Global corporations have pulled out of Russia. Yeah, they've left infrastructure and 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 you know capabilities behind. How does the Russian government? How do the Russian people pick up from there and continue on? You know, mm -hmm. and and what do they do with that intellectual property? You can think of like a McDonald's, right? Can they make burgers and and buns and French fries? Can they get the same ingredients? Probably not. But can they leverage the intellectual property that's trapped in Russia 
if you're a business like an oil, uh, you, you know, an, someone who's drilling for oil or um, a, you know, a manufacturer, can you take design documents and, and you find ways to use that even though the organization left? And how do you protect intellectual property? You're not suing Russia at this point in a court of law. Yeah, right. And I think those are all, you know, going to be very salient questions. And, um, you know, what, is this, what does this mean for the structure of the Internet itself, right? Um, and um, how, you know, with the Russians working very hard to control their media environment, and suppress any sort of real information from getting out, there could be implications for internet governance. I mean, so there's all sorts of ripple right. effects that will yeah. be that will be playing out for for years. And that's just obviously, you know, there's the human suffering, people who've been killed and the families disrupted and the human suffering. But there's gonna be political and technological and all sorts of other ramifications that go in addition to that human toll. Right. Yeah, very much so. It's 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 kind of uh, it's amazing in this day and age that we can come into these situations where we kind of don't have a roadmap forward. You know, it's we, we, we kind of have to every day is a new day and kind of take in the information and kind of make the best decisions that we can. I mean, can you think of another time, I guess, in recent history where we've been in such kind of such a place? I mean, I think it's hard to compare, right? Because right. the the interconnected world that we live in is is that level of connectivity um, is so different than what most people dealt with right. um, in prior years that I think it is very difficult to make make comparisons. Yeah. There was um, something I was reading last week and it was it might have been Actually, it might have been Herb Lynn <laughs> when I, well, we were talking to him last week. And I was doing some reading, but it was, um, you know, gonna imagine the Cuban Missile Crisis in the time of Twitter, you know, and misinformation. And, right. You know, and that's just such a critical element right now, right, in, in terms of how, how the, um, you know, countries present themselves and Russia perceives them presenting themselves and, like, Biden's statement. It's, um, it, it really kind of puts things in a, in a, in a perspective <laughs> of how yeah. tenuous everything really is. For sure. I mean, it, and and Biden did make another statement over the weekend. I know that has been much discussed and, you know, kind of what's what's your perspective on on that in terms of how that could be perceived? Which statement? I, I presume you're talking about the he can't stay in power uh, statement. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Right. When it's when everyone's kind of walking that trying to walk a line of, of being very careful what to say and how it can be perceived. It, a lot of a lot of discussion on that over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at Biden's track record in this area, I think, you know, um, I think in some ways that was a very sort of, um, I think that was a very, that came from a very real place, right, of yeah. um, of like, if you even look at how he delivered it, it's like, good grief, Russian people, like, look at what this guy is doing to you. Right. Um, I don't think that was so much a signal about what the he intends for the U.S. to try to do, but right. it was more like an appeal to the Russian people to say, you know, do, do you really want this? Um, is this how you want to be led? Right. Um, and, you know, I think that the no matter how you play this out, right, that Russia is going to end up in a weaker place than it was. Um, and clearly... Um, you know, 
the it is not played out the way that the Russian government could have wanted. I can't imagine right. that this is the path that they thought this was going to happen. Um, and yeah. um, and so I think that you know even down the road, like so, what does this mean for? I mean, just to connect it back to cybersecurity, right? Right. Right. So you had a. Russian company that two of them, in fact, that were actually quite successful um, as cybersecurity companies, Kaspersky and Group IB, right. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now they have you have effectively truncated their market, um, you know, pretty significantly. Right. Um, yeah, we're seeing that on our side where people mm-hmm. are like, "Hey, I've got to get off Kaspersky." National governments wow. who are using them. So I agree with you, Michael. Yeah. Um, and that's not going to be recover. I mean, you know, will they? Could they eventually recover from that? Yes, of course, because things change. People's you know memories will fade, and you know. But that's not like something that you know if they signed a peace accord, you know, tomorrow, right? That doesn't get restored overnight. Right. Um, and so the um, so I think there's just you know there's all these ramifications that will will be working our way through for a very long time. I think that trust element is not restored overnight. I, I think that takes decades, right? I mean, who, yeah. what, what, what business person in Europe or, or the Americas or heck, even China is going to risk going back into Russia in the near term, knowing that their assets could be nationalized, knowing that something could go could go crazy off the off the rails, right? They could they could yeah. re uh, reattack Georgia or Kazakhstan or who knows. Yeah, and and all of a sudden your assets are gone again. I mean, I, I was uh, what, what was it? BP, I think it, it was trillions of dollars they're giving up. They had twenty percent in in you know I forget the name of the Russian oil company investment. That's a that's real money. You're not going to make take that risk. In the near term, that trust to me is broken, and and that might be the biggest thing we're seeing here. Yeah, I think that's Time right. And, yeah, no, that's right, and 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 I think that uh, you're absolutely right. And it's one of those like, how do you justify that as a business? How do you justify like using, especially when you know, um, the Russian market is not, you know, from a global perspective, it's not that huge. So well, I heard it was it was number eleven. I was tracking this. It, it was number eleven. It's projected to be in the twenties now as a result of the yeah. sanctions and corporations pulling out and and everybody moving to try to to uh, supplement their oil and, and natural gas from other sources. Yeah, um, you know, they're, they're going to be down in the in the twenty number, which is which is going to be it's going to be horrible for the Russian people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the sad part. And then, and then, you know, when you have a country that goes from coming up to, you know, and, 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 you know, increasing your per capita income per head, and now you reverse that trend, that's not a good situation for the world either. It's just not not. a good situation all around. Right. Sorry, Michael. No, no, that's right. And I think that that's where I would say, you know, my message to companies and organizations is do not take your eye off of, um, the potential for cyber threats from Russia. Right. Because as the, as the reality of that situation sinks in, right. Um, and as that eventually begins to 
have real noticeable effects, um, you know, the, the temptation to use cyber capabilities to cause disruption elsewhere, I think, will, will increase. And the downside risk of it also decreases, right? Um, right. So no one's going to prosecute you. Yeah, I, I look at it. If, if I worked at, an, you know, Russia has a lot of cyber talent. They have a lot of IT talent. But if the Russian economy takes a major hit, can you get a job? How, where are you going to work? Right. You know, do you need to leave? But if you stay there, it's probably easier to turn to crime. You, if you can't make your money in the country, the, the common sense approach is I have to make my money outside of the country. Right. And crime is just flat out one of the options which is probably more attractive when you're trying to feed your family. I, I think it's going to be a real problem mm -hmm. for the world. You know, I, I think we're going to have some challenges there. So, so Michael, I, I do have a question I've been meaning to ask you since I saw you were on the docket for today. You know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm going to be very careful here. I'm not going to ask you what you think. I'm going to ask you how you think about the problem. I don't want to put you in a tough spot, but you were the special assistant to President Obama and the cybersecurity coordinator on the National Security Council. Yep. And there's a lot of talk on Article 5. And I think President Biden said on Friday in his speech in Poland, you know, we will trigger Article 5 if Russia steps one inch into NATO property. Here's the question. As a cybersecurity policy expert, how do you think and how do you advise on what an inch looks like from a cybersecurity perspective, since I, I would say we're already inched in <laughs> over the last couple of decades, right? I mean, you, you've been dealing with this for, for years. So obviously that inch statement doesn't directly apply to cyber, but how do you think through that problem? Not when, not where is the red line or anything right. else? I, I know that's an impossible answer and it changes all the time, but how do you think through that problem? How would you advise people on that? Yeah, so it, it is a very difficult and challenging question. So, of course, Article 5 is actually something that would be invoked by a NATO member. Right. Right. Um, and they would say, you know, we have been attacked in a way that constitutes, you know, a, a use of force um, and that we are calling upon our NATO allies under Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty to come to our mutual assistance and aid. Um, and so I think to what you would have to be looking at is the effects, right? Do the effects of the cyber activity, can you actually draw a connection to the use of force? Is it an attempt by the Russian government to compel, right? Using force, in this case, using cyber capabilities as the force, as opposed to kinetic weaponry, right, to impose costs on a NATO member um, and, you know, that they're calling upon our, you know, our assistance to either repel that, stop that, or even to, you know, strike back. And I think that there are a lot, that's how you would have to frame up the, the issue and look at the situation. Um, I think it's unquestionable, though, that there are act actions that could occur through cyberspace that would warrant triggering Article 5. Um, and I, you know, I think the bigger challenge will be something that 
is kind of sort of that's more than like sort of your basic espionage or, you know, a right. pithy little denial of service attack. But, you know, um, I think that's where the challenge will be of and that's where it actually literally becomes a political and policy judgment. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but it literally becomes a judgment call of does that action constitute a, the use of force? Um, and you know, worthy of a, worthy of a response. I, I, I love that answer. I, I was watching, um, this weekend I was, I don't know where I saw, but you know, we're seeing more activity in the Baltics probing on their readiness. Um, and obviously that's probing from a cybersecurity perspective, but I, I, I love that the effect. I, I, it was it was that that was the perspective I was missing this weekend as I was trying to think through the problem. I think that's a great way to look at it, and I appreciate that. Sure. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, what is the effect of this behavior? If if it's just probing, is that it, is that you know is there harm there? Probably not. Um, but I could see yeah. some countries saying, "Hey." This is our red line. NATO, send the bombers in. And I don't think that's the way we want to look at the problem. Yeah, no, and I don't think they would get much support for that either, right? Right. Um, now, I think, you know, if a country, if a NATO country came to us and said, hey, you know, we're concerned about this Russian probing activity and we would like some assistance in trying to figure out, um, did they get access someplace? Can we find them? You know, can we shut down their access? Um, sure, we could provide that sort of aid, regardless of whether or not there's a, you know, an Article Five um, uh, request, right? So, not everything has to go through um, through that process, and you could have something far short of invoking Article Five in terms of us providing assistance to cyber assistance to NATO countries. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Rachel? <sighs> it you, just, very you just want to go back to 2017, <laughs> right? Yeah. Can we, can we, can we talk about not Petya again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much easier in those days, wasn't it? it? Now it seems so. Yes. Yes. It's, um, you know, and it, it another interesting thing you said when we were before we got on, Michael, is you know also the this notion of kind of the professionalization of of cyber criminals. You know, it's uh, we talked about the was it the lapsus group and you know the Okta attack and the sixteen year old living in you know living in the parents' house and um, but that's a very much '90s interpretation of of cyber criminals, and that's not really the reality at all. I mean, these are very sophisticated, you know, business organizations. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's, you know, I, I keep saying that over and over again that, and you, yes, you get exceptions like this alleged lapsus person. Right. Um, and, but the reality is that most of these organizations are highly sophisticated and they're organizations, right? They're multiple people and they, they've, They've specialized, they've, you know, diversified, um, and now um, it, it's a very highly professionalized business, um, and they have org charts and, you know, process flows and right. everything else. I mean, it's, you know, they've, 
my joke is, I mean, they've read their Adam Smith. They've read their Roger Porter. They've attended Harvard Business School classes online, probably, right. you know, um, to, um, you know, to really look at how they run these organizations. And that's part of what makes them so dangerous. I mean, that's a really a big force multiplier, um, right. you know, and when you sort of, you know, you sort of add in the cryptocurrency as a fuel, right, as a way to move money. Um, mm-hmm. at scale efficiently outside of a lot of the financial controls that exist in the standard financial markets, you know, you've got a real, re- and you then have a country that's been providing them safe haven, right? right. Um, largely providing uh, safe haven. Um, and then you add in our digital dependence, right? We keep becoming more and more and more digitally dependent right? with each passing year. Like suddenly it's not a big surprise that we've had this explosion in, you know, cybercrime and um, particularly ransomware. Right. Yeah, well, Rachel, there was, I, I was, I was, case. I was mentioning it, but there's a, a great report that remember Marco Figueroa, who was on the podcast, he's at BreachQuest yes. right now. And mm-hmm. he, he did a breakdown. His team did a breakdown on Conti based on the leaks that were out there. And we should link to it in the show notes, but it's, it's a, uh, it's a great read into like the org structure, the figureheads, how it runs as a business. They effectively have a CEO, a head of HR, which is all about recruiting and keeping their <laughs> members happy, right? They have a person in charge of the blogging. They have a training lead. They've got someone on the CFO finance side who handles blockchain. And then they have three teams, a- ABC, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, And in the teams, they have developers, they have pen testers, they have OSINT, uh, open source intelligent people, OSINT people, they have admins, they have QA people, and they have reverse engineers. And they have have multiple teams that you've got to see the org chart. It's fascinating the way it replicates a common modern business based on what they're doing. And, and how do they handle disbursement of wages and budgeting? Right. It's a, according to LinkedIn, it's a 16-minute read. Um, I, I think I spent about an hour on it because it was so fascinating. But that's based on the Conti leak. So I'll send you the link, but it, it, we, we should probably link to it to the show. It's a new world, Michael. <laughs> yeah, and I think that – and I, you know, and I've said that this really drives how we have to think about responding to this because you can't continue to treat cybercrime as a sort of economic nuisance, right? Right. Um, It has now become a serious economic threat. Um, The amount of money that's being drained from the legitimate uh, economy is like larger than the GDPs of a fair number of countries on the planet. Um, You know, it's a national security problem. It's a public health and safety problem. Like, you know, I, the analogy that we use is this is sort of like where piracy got to in the like 16th century, 16th and 17th centuries. Um, and, you know, it's posing such a um, such a threat that um, even though, you know, a lot of attention is currently focused rightly on what's happening in Ukraine, I think over the next few years, the attention will come back around to how do you combat cybercrime effectively? Um, and it's going to require some really different thinking on the part of governments. And we're going to have to really work on, um, 
we're going to have to really work on some international cooperation and really build the structures to do this internationally um, because it crosses international boundaries. So, Michael, I'm not a I'm not a sea seaman personally, but yeah, th- there's a law of the of the sea, right? There are international right. laws on 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 how we handle um, yeah the the sea, if you will. Uh, I'm trying to think of the words here. Feel free to help me out, Rachel. Do you do you th- oh, go ahead, Michael? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's actually, and so you raise a good point, right? There's treaties, right? There's longstanding right. international law. There's custom and habit about how you consider what is territorial waters and what is your right of self defense on the ocean and how do you maintain freedom of navigation and all of these kinds of things, right? That have built up over the last really thousand years right. <laughs> of, yeah. um, you know, uh, maritime uh, activity. And so I think that um, maybe even going back further than that. Um, and so I think you're going to see similar sort of ideas have to emerge in how nations work together in cyberspace. Of You do. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but nobody should expect that to happen really quickly. Um, like, well, hopefully those, it's not a thousand years. No, I don't think it'll be that long, but like, it shouldn't surprise anybody that like, it's you know, 10 years, it's, it's going to take time. Um, yeah. and we're going to have to try out various things and, um, you know, um, and you have some conventions out there like the Budapest convention on mm-hmm. cybercrime. Um, but one of the challenges of that was that's primarily a Western European convention. Um, and the truth of the matter is we're going to have to go beyond, you know, Europe and the sort of U.S., Canada, Australia, you know, sort of group. And we're going to have to be more inclusive in how we develop those right. uh, those conventions. Um, I mean, I think the Budapest Convention is a very workable convention. And, you know, I would like to see its principles and things more broadly adopted. But you know, the reality is we may have to make some some adjustments in, in, in the interest of inclusivity in bringing in new voices and new perspectives. Right. And, and I think that's really um, that's that's really important uh, because everybody needs to have a stake in how we develop those agreements and those interactions and, and those kinds of things. And what is it going to mean to move digital evidence around the world? Uh, and can we do that at a speed that anybody actually cares about? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of challenges in this space. That there are, that there are. So, so I want to switch and and go to a challenging area as we're wrapping up here. Um, shields up. CISA is, is really big on shields up. I think in the States, one of the things we're seeing, and I, 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 from what I gather in Western Europe also, um, we're, we're somewhat on guard, right? Businesses are patching, you know, they're, they're on alert. They're deploying multi-factor authentication. You know, in some cases we're hunting on networks. I, I think what I'm observing is a lot of organizations are taking the warnings they're getting out of the governments that 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 represent them very seriously. But how long can they do that? Right, a small thirty-person, fifty-person company, a law firm may have one cyber person or who's also their IT person. How long are we are we as vi- vigilant as we're being before we get back to 
well, this is, I, I've got a day job and we'll deal with it. W- what are your thoughts there? I mean, I, I know you do so much with the cyber, with, with the threat alliance. Like, how do you see that going? So, I mean, in some ways, right, like th- this falls into the category of never let a crisis go to waste, right? Of, right. You know, go do the things that we've actually been telling you to do for years. Um, and, you know, we're politely sort of saying, you know, none of this is like new. None of this advice that we're telling you is like, oh, this suddenly you need to have this new capability that nobody's ever mentioned to you before. Right. Um, You're right. They can't maintain this level of vigilance um, for forever. But I do think that you can parlay this into saying, look, it's time to raise your baseline level of cybersecurity Mm -hmm. um, and take the steps to make yourself more secure over the long run. Right. These are not multi-factor authentication, right, is a capability that protects you against nation states. It protects you against, um, you know, hacktivists. It protects you against criminals. Right. It serves multiple purposes. Right. So the other advantage of a lot of the things that we've been saying to do is they are actually effective against a wide variety of cyber threats. And so the um, the result is that. Um, these are good long-term investments to make to raise the level of cybersecurity um, in a business, and so I think if we can um, if we can capitalize on that and make sure that the investments that are happening are you know um, become baked into the business process, that will actually make everybody better off um, across the board. Okay, and are you seeing more right now? I, I know you're big on sticks and taxi. Um, or the Cyber Threat Alliances, I believe. Are you seeing more information sharing and more automated information sharing? Are, are you seeing a lot more of that these days? Well, we continue to increase the amount of information that's flowing through our platform. Um, yeah. You know, uh, for example, we're well north of um, 300,000 indicators a day um, going through our platform now. Um, so... 34 members spread across 11 different, you know, headquartered in 11 different countries. Um, and so I think the, you know, the real question for me is how do we actually take that conversation about intelligence sharing and really begin to have a much more uh, nuanced discussion about it? Meaning that your average business does not need the kind of information that CTA moves. Um, right. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything with it if I gave it to them. Um, right. and, and that's okay because, in fact, that's not their business, right? They, right. I want Flo's Flower Shop to be worrying about selling flowers, you know, <laughs> not trying to worry about, um, you know, cybersecurity. And so we need to have a much better understanding of like, look, there are certain kinds of information that we want the really technically capable organizations to be sharing in the background, but really – um, what, th- this is the kind of information we need to be getting out to small businesses on a regular basis. This is the kind of information that the financial sector or the healthcare sector needs. Right. And it needs to be much more tailored. And the information we ask back from them needs to be very simple uh, for the most part, very simple and easy to connect. And we need to do a better job of connecting all of this to the business side. Like, you know, how does this affect your business operations? How does this affect your ability to deliver your product, your service, whatever it is to your customers? Um, and we need to get much more sophisticated in those 
discussions, and I can see that happening. Um, and this is really about the cybersecurity industry maturing to incorporate more than just the technical aspects of the industry. It right. grew up in the technical side. It will always have its foundations in the technical side appropriately, but it's now growing beyond that. And that's a good thing um, in my view, because that's the only way that we'll actually really be able to get a wrap, get our arms around this problem. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I think I keep coming back to kind of like, you know, coming up and you're going to business school and it seems that, you know, there should be some mandatory, you know, cyber courses if you're if you're getting an MBA or or other things. It almost seems irresponsible not to have kind of, you know, some level of of awareness and ability in your MBA curriculum uh, if you're going to be you know starting up or managing a business today. Well, yeah, it's a board no, level I, discussion. So you need it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. just like you have to have some facility. You don't have to be an accountant. Right. right. But you got to have some facility with generally accepted accounting principles and know how to read a balance sheet and know how to right. read a P&L. And um, you ought to have some basic facility with cybersecurity. Um, and again, you, you should not, in fact, be the expert, right? right. That's, you hire experts. You exactly. have experts in your company. But you got to have some basic facility with it. Um, right. and, and I think that that's really the... Um, you know, just like you also have facility with risk management and insurance and disaster recovery and I mean, right. all these things that encompass running a business. Yes, it is one more thing, but I also think that people overthink and overstate the degree of expertise that they actually need to right. make decent decisions in this area. Um, and that's where right. I think it's actually incumbent upon the cybersecurity industry to figure out how to communicate better. Um, it's not that your clients or customers or whatever, they're, it's not, they're not stupid. Right. Um, it's that we need to, we need to explain it better in terms that they can understand. So. Agreed. Yeah. That's actually kind of exciting though. I mean, you think about kids who grew up, you know, with, um, iPads and, and internet and all the things that they can do and, and how they think about things so differently. You know, if now we have this kind of generation coming up and they're focused on, you know, cyber, right, as, as part of a way hopefully. of life. I think that could be really interesting what we see in the next generation or so, uh, hopefully in our lifetime of, of getting ahead of this thing, potentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was actually really cool. I did my, uh, my younger son is in elementary school. Uh, he's in fifth grade. And um, I went to their career day um, at, oh, the, at, at his elementary school and actually had a fair number of kids come through mm -hmm. and want to talk to me about, oh, you know, wow. cybersecurity. And, um, you know, I don't think all of them were completely there voluntarily, but most of them were. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was it was great. It was it was great to talk to them. And, um, you know, the uh, it, it, it was great to see the enthusiasm and, and the diversity of kids mm -hmm. oh, of who was interested in this uh, topic. Yeah. Um, and even talking, you know, one one girl asked me, you know, could, you know, could an artist be involved in cybersecurity? And I said, absolutely. I said, have you what seen a layup. the, you know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, absolutely. You know, I was like, have you seen the imagery in cybersecurity? I said, it's all like du dudes in hoodies, like, in, you know, in pew pew maps, we need much better imagery. So absolutely, you know. Um, Hilarious, but it's so That's true. what we it's need. That's right. We need yeah, the artists, absolutely. the musicians. They think differently. I saw it with the uh, 
on, on the uh, on, on the malware, the reverse engineering side, you need that creativity. Yep. Oh, I love that. Really I love that. Yeah. Yep. That's that's exciting. That's I think cyber's cool. If I if I were a kid again, I would be so jazzed if you came to my school and we're talking about cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And I'd want, you know, all the classes, all the things. I'd want to be able to take it in high school and you know, I think that's that's the other piece I think about a lot. Where's the curriculum? Where's the curriculum? Yep. My kid thinks gym is cool. Mm. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gym's good for you. It helps keep your brain active <laughs> and you know, keep you healthy. Yeah. Luckily he's good at math, but he likes he likes phys ed better ed. than uh anyway. <laughs> okay, Rachel, our time has come. Ah. Uh, that's that. Once again, thanks for joining us, Michael. It's always so lovely having you on the podcast and just, you know, all your amazing insights. You know, you've been on the front lines for so, so long. And it's it's wonderful that, you know, we have the opportunity to, to get your perspective and, and share that with our listeners. Thank you. No kidding. The effect. Look at the effect is, is the big piece I took out of one of the big, many big pieces from today. And then looking at like treaties as, as we did with the laws of the sea. I think that's some amazing insight there. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. I always enjoy the, the conversation and uh, never quite know where it's going to go, but that's great. Um, <laughs> Nor so, do we. But, um, that's, that's fabulous. So, <laughs> Well, hopefully next time we chat, we're still wondering why we didn't see significant critical infrastructure, cyber, secu- uh, cyber activity outside of the Ukraine mm-hmm. yep. AOR. And, and we're still just wondering as opposed to dealing with the impact. That would be I a good so conversation. Too. That'd be a nice yep. outcome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, to all of our listeners, thanks again, Michael, for joining us. And um, uh, all of our listeners, again, thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast every single week, you know, and if you subscribe for those that aren't aware, you get a fresh episode in your inbox every single week or automatically downloaded to your phone. If you subscribe to one of the popular podcast services. So until next time, everybody stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the to the point cybersecurity podcast brought to you by force point. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 